32 counties. United by people. My name is Una. My name is Andrea. And this is United United. And every week on United Ireland, we go backstage and under the hood of issues in Ireland beyond the headlines, bringing you smart people who know what they're talking about without a lot of people shouting at each other, which is always good. This week's question slash statement, Ireland, or Ireland? Andrea. (laughs) I am Ireland. Uh, Be kind. How can we make Ireland the best be friendly country in the whole world? I'm into this. Big fan of the LBs. And uh, on this week's episode, we have a very inspiring and instructive interview um, uh, from a couple who are doing their bits for the bees in a quite an innovative way. And we also have a honeybee related friend of the pod. So it's bee mania. Bee mania. But speaking of mania, do you know what is mania? I, I, I'm not even going to say the line about our petrol in the tank. Uh, thank you to everyone who has has made the step and come on board as a Patreon supporter. It really does mean the world to us. Um, uh, we obviously are making this because we love it, but also it would be it is great that we are able to uh, fund it. Um, and the only way we can fund it is if you support us on Patreon. And obviously, it's a hard time for everyone. Um, but especially for us. No, I'm only joking. Uh, so if you do have the enjoyment seeping through your veins from listening to us, um, that three euro a month would be glorious. If if you bought, if you bought us a coffee or a coconut chai latte. Yes. Patreon.com forward slash United Ireland. Three bucks a week. Month. Easy peasy peasy. Month. month, a month, a month. Three bucks a month. Uh, we're getting really good at that cell there, Andrea. Wrong facts and everything. Okay, let's go to the State of the Nation. Give me the state, Andrea. How are you feeling this week, by the way? Oh, I hate when you ask me that question. It's just so many layers. I am feeling that I feel like the light is at the end of the tunnel. I'm hoping. And so I'm in a hopeful mood, but knowing that we have a bit of graft to go before then. So I'm trying to get in the zone of graft zone to just make it through the wilderness. What about you? I'm oscillating a lot. Like I'm up and down a lot. I think that the periods of when I'm up and the periods of when I'm down are getting kind of shorter and more frequent so I seem to be cha- my my emotional state seems to be changing more frequently um, whereas previously it'd be like a week where I felt really good or a week where I felt shit now it's like a day where I'm just depressed basically and then the following day I'm like do you know what I think it's actually going to be okay and then the following day I'm like I just don't really know like what you know am I just existing here and what's going to happen and and the and and I'm depressed by what's going on with the vaccines and then the next day it's like you know I think this is okay so it's I'm basically all over the place it's like external factors when you allowed them past your boundaries have a deep impact but when you try to focus on mindset and the joy of sun and all that kind of jazz it makes it easier Wow, that's literally exactly what it's like. <laughs> but tell me about the state of the nation. Um, actually, uh, on the vaccines, they've changed the rollout plan. So it's now going to be um, stratified by age. Uh, probably a more cohesive way to do it than um, a lot of the, uh, frankly, quite ropey things that we've seen in terms of vaccines associated by profession, particularly with regards to stories that have been coming out about uh people who work in non-frontline uh, jobs in health in the HSE and uh, people being vaccinated there who would not have been a uh, priority. That is very difficult to hear that kind of stuff on the back of the beacon. Uh, shenanigans. Um, on the beacon, can we just uh, pop in there Mary Lou's mic drop of how vaccine cheats cheat us all. Her zings on like social media, whatever the positives and negatives are about having things on social media. I just thought that was a really good one. Yeah, those uh, social media managers in Serbia and Germany clearly working flat out, which I thought was so mad. There was this story I think the Indo had about uh, Sinn Féin's social media being run 
occasionally by people who don't live in the country, seems to forget the fact that Fine Gael hired um, Ravi Singh in 2011, I think, um, as a social media guru type person who was subsequently jailed for uh, various um, nefarious actions around uh, donations in another jurisdiction. Um, of course, when, you know, uh, there are there are varying standards across the political party political spectrum with regards to how people act. People may also remember Fianna Fáil um, paying Blue State Digital a consultancy uh, fee as well for their social media stuff. So people um, being brought in to do social media outside of the country uh, is not a... Guess what, guys? We live in a global world. We're all all over the place and we're all... Of course, there should be transparency across the board with regards to political advertising and and political activity online. That goes without saying. Um, Now... I d- on of the pe- change of vaccination, I don't have a problem with it going by age. I think it makes sense because yeah. if you're older, you probably have more chance, et cetera, et cetera. But I do think it does shine a light on the fact that we have such a shit technology infrastructure in place across all sectors in terms of health, the HSE, and even like in the testing, going back to pen and paper and all that kind of jazz. It's like, can we not just have a long-term goal of, of making things work. Mm. Making them work while also protecting people's information. You know, this part of me, because we don't have these kind of national medical registers, that feels quite grateful that the apparatus of the state doesn't know uh, every illness and condition that people have considering um, the expose on uh, RT last week, uh, RT investigates, which is absolutely sensational. Uh, thing about Department of Health and Department of Education compiling dossiers um, on children, uh, on autistic children, children with autism uh, who were involved in legal um, wranglings with the state. So, you know. And also (laughs) the fact that people who have, there was mumblings of people who have um, gotten COVID not getting mortgages Mm. and people who are uh, fat not getting mortgages. Yeah, there's also, I mean, there's big stuff around uh, cancer and mortgages as well, um, or any illness. I mean, this is a life assurance, life mm. insurance thing. Maybe we should do an episode on that. Yes, maybe. Um, okay, Kirchen Twitching is back in fashion. <laughs> back in fashion, in the media. Like, it's gone full circle that it's not just like Twitter people got, I saw my friend getting their hair, but now it's like, I saw the guards getting a haircut from somebody who works there who used to be a barber. And then there was a front page of like the GAA were actually training. The Dublin GAA team were training when they weren't meant to be. So it's Which is bad. Which is, which is 100%. bad. 100%. I'm not saying it's not bad, but it's like it's full curtain twitching gone mainstream now. Yeah, we're back in this zone. Um, what is positive, though, for people who are at home uh, twitching their curtains or not, is that the right to disconnect from work framework that was developed by the uh, Workplace Relations Commission has come into effect. I don't know how adhered to it will be that you don't have to answer emails at all hours, but it exists. It's a conversation that I'm glad is starting to happen and that especially that it came from like the Taunashta, whether it is, what's the equivalent of greenwashing in work sense, whether it is we're just going to, we're saying you shouldn't have to work all the time. I think it's a conversation that should be coming from the Taunashta, the Minister for Business or whatever, to saying life is not all about working all the time and that so many people are crashing and burning from like work, break, have their dinner, back to work again. It, like it is not the way forward. No. Nope. Uh, but on the say, on another note, um, up to 100,000 workers, um, the central bank have said, which are mostly consumer facing, will permanently lose their jobs Um after this and I think that brings up a really big question for me in terms of again how we're obviously you can't go face to face during COVID but again it puts the impetus on when working from home is better and how our connection with the world and people is being wiped away a little bit that we do have to keep an eye on that for sure. Yeah I mean it's very sad and also when the inevitability of, of certain businesses closing um, permanently starts to filter through. It's just really sad to hear. Like I was really sad to see Harlequin mm. uh, in Castle Market in Dublin close its doors. That was a very seminal shop for me in my um, I did teenage years. Yesterday I was sitting on this in the centre of the universe 
it's uh, William Street, watching uh, <laughs> a, a lot of people outside the corner unit where uh, Gourmet Burger Kitchen used to be. So there's something new going in there. Oh, that's gone, is yeah. it? Fucking hell. So they were speculating to accumulate there. There was a, lot, a big group of people with plans. So be fab. It was a gorgeous thing coming in there. Mm. Um, what is this about Orti and the shoes and Pascal Donahue? I missed all this. So basically Pascal Donahue was uh, on being interviewed about the shoe, the sh- children's shoe crisis. And it was uh, asked in a way that was like, your party has uh, history on this because of the way the government collapsed over the tax on shoes, on children's shoes before the Fine Gael government. And the Pascal Dunahue's advisor got onto them and asked them to apologize for the way it was asked. And they did. Um, and that, yeah, so there's a question over, um, it's a factual thing that happened and, uh, or she have apologized for bringing a fact to an interview. Basically. I think there's just a little warning sign on that, that that is happening. Mm. Or to, uh, have a tendency sometimes to be very cautious and capitulate around certain things. Uh, but like, pfft, ask a question whoever you want to ask the question. Facts, baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, Finally, Andrea, fine. tell me something. I've been watching the unfolding of this story for the last few weeks. Um, the cotton reports um, in Xinjiang. Um, and it was, it kind of came to the fore when H&M, raised issues about the forced labour in the region um, and Nike also came out. So there was uh, a big issue about that. And then uh, China has now completely washed H&M off any um, digital sphere in China. So it doesn't exist. Landlords are shuttering up shops uh, because they've questioned the ethics of how the uh, cotton is being uh, harvested and all that kind of jazz. And it's a huge region for cotton production. Um, But then um, what's happened is that an Irish journalist uh, needed to leave. And there's been a bit of an uproar about that. She was being tracked for raising these questions as well. And then the Chinese embassy has come back kind of fighting on Twitter going, we didn't ask her to leave. She left by her own fault, even though she was being followed and, and also her husband who works for BBC. Yeah. Um, so there is, there's some shit going down in China. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Well said. Okay. It's time for the bees. So in recent years, there's been lots of chats about rewilding Ireland um, about meadowland, about wildflowers, about the importance of bees. You've heard us talk about that uh, now and then on the podcast. But did you know that the only dedicated native wild bee sanctuary in the planet is in Ireland? And Andrea, it's in your uh, one of your necks of oh, one of the woods of Wicklow. You know me, I'm just always in nature of the country. It's just, is it in Blessington? <laughs> well, we'll find out because um, we're going to talk to Paul Hendrick and Claire Louise Donnellan. Uh, they're from the Bee Sanctuary of Ireland and we're going to talk to them about the uh, National Meadowland Project. Hello, friends. Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me. <laughs> um, can you tell us first, what is the Bee Sanctuary? Um, the Bee Sanctuary of Ireland, we're, like you said, we're the only um, native wild bee sanctuary on the planet at the moment. Anyway, hopefully there'll be more um, when, when, when we inspire people. Um, with it, we had a farm and we basically used 55 acres, which to give people an idea of the size, that's about um, 31 football pitches. That's, that's, that's the size of it. And we, we bought the farm about 10 years ago. We were going down the um, horticulture route. We were going to start growing um, salads and lettuce and, and f- fruit and veg. Okay. Um, we're, we're, we're organic. And then we went one step beyond. We're vegan organic, which is no, no animal inputs whatsoever onto the land. And we went away on a, uh, our first holiday in years, about three and a half years ago, came back and the deer and the rabbits and everything, all, the, all nature had been in and, and ate everything we were growing, basically. So we were sitting wow. there in a field, surrounded by... by clover and wild bees native wild bees and it just struck us that instead of trying to keep nature out which had never been our our, our, our idea but to, instead of trying to keep it out we'll just embrace it and uh, had this crazy idea let's uh, let's just set up as a native wild bee sanctuary to, to, to advocate and educate people about the plight of our native wild bees 
And since then, we've been going from strength to strength, making it up as we go along. There's no, there's no model for this. And um, there's a huge amount of love for what we're doing from the general public, which, 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 which keeps us going, to be honest with you. You said you're the only wild native bee sanctuary. What, what differentiates that from what other bee things we know about? Well, basically, we're just about wild bees. So in Ireland, there are 99 types of bee in Ireland. There's 77 solitary bees, 21 bumblebees, and there's just one honeybee. And when you say bees to people, most people think honeybees. They think hives, they think honey. We're not about honeybees at all. We're basically, we're just about the wild bees. So honeybees are kind of, I suppose you'd see them as being farmed. They're looked after and they're kept basically by a beekeeper who looks after them and makes sure they're, they're kept safe and they're fed and they're looked after basically. Whereas wild bees are fending for themselves. So we're just basically helping the wild bees. It's just about putting in forage, not spraying, and basically just protecting and telling people about wild bees and what they can do to protect our, our wild bees, basically. That's that's the difference. There's, there are people out there who have honeybees and honeybee farms, but as I said, we're not about honeybees at all. It's just about the wild bees, the 98 bees that are wild, that basically need us to so- This is so brilliant. Um, I love that you, this is how uh, this sanctuary started like were you always mad into bees was this a thing that there was like a passion or was it just no um, no we, we, just, we, we bought the place we, I'm from a farming background Paul isn't but I've always loved nature Paul's always loved nature it's just something we're, we've always been passionate about to be honest um, I was a veterinary nurse for a long time Can I just interject we, when, we, when we, we were on our way to France we were getting out we were just going to buy a place in France disappear into the French countryside with the kids and um, have a small jeep business and we, we kind of came in on this land and it, it called to us it just it, it, we couldn't leave it. We, we resisted it for about a year and a half we thought we're mad we're crazy what are we doing buying a farm and it, it had been set up for hunting, ironically, by the previous owners. The, the, the farmer that had owned it originally um, had no kids. And he left it to his nephew who sold it on to three brothers. And they set it up for hunting pheasant. And they, they'd kind of extended a, a pond on, on the wetlands to, um, to, to, to raise ducks for shooting. And this, this, like, this was a barn to us. Like, we, could, we couldn't understand this. But ironically, because they'd done that, they planted trees. They'd left cover. And we just saw the, the huge potential for the biodiversity. And we walked onto the place and it, we've got it from people, other people have visited as well. It's kind of, for some reason, it's a bit special. It, it, it's looking back over the Wicklow Hills. It's kind of got its own little microclimate way it's positioned on, on the hill. And it just, people, especially a lot of creative people walk in and just go, wow. And that's what it did to us. And we, 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 we tried to resist. We thought it would be crazy. And we, like, we, we saw it as a sanctuary from the start, but we kind of thought for people, for creatives to come down and kind of writers and artists to be inspired and get some peace and quiet out of the, the craziness of the world. And ironically, our, our, I don't know what the word is, but it, it turned out that it's a sanctuary for, for, for bees. That's the way it went. So we always knew it was going to be a sanctuary, but we didn't, we didn't realize when we bought it, it was that, that journey to get there. And we, we, we didn't know so, a lot about bees. Sorry. We, sorry. Oh we, we, didn't, we, didn't, we didn't know a lot, a lot about bees. Like I said, we, we knew the bees were in trouble. We'd, we'd come across it because we would, would have a, a huge interest in, na- in nature. But it was, it was when, when, we, when we decided to, to kind of make the, made that decision to actually be a bee sanctuary, we didn't know what to do. So we went to, to people in the area, in the space, and it was their reaction to what we were doing that kind of made us think, well, we really need to do this because it was it was quite a negative reaction. We we naively thought, oh, everyone's going to love this in the environmental space; they're going to get behind us, and we found the opposite. So, it, 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 to one extent, it drives us on because we the reason we do this is we have four kids, and we need to leave the place, the planet, in a in 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 a in a, in a, a position that they can live in it. So that that's that, that's our driver here. It's it, it's it's actually for 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 future generations. And that, that it's, it's, to us, it's the best, best so, driving. You know, and we don't claim to be good guys. I always say to people, if, if I didn't have kids, I'd be sitting in a bar somewhere in somewhere tropical now and just going, oh, that's it, you know, it's, it's all done. But we've got kids, so we have to fight for it. You are talking about you had the salad plans, you went away on holidays, came back, and it had completely rewilded. So obviously there was a commercial um, idea there. And now you've gone kind of, I suppose, to the other side of re- rewilding the bees and how do you how how does that work in terms of like you've seen your the nature coming back into your farm and letting it take over fine but then you have this kind of uh side where you're going we're just going to help save the bees how does that work commercially 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> it doesn't yet. <laughs> it hasn't. We had planned on opening um, a year ago to start having people down, that people would pay to come down. And then COVID happened. So that didn't happen, basically. So we're still waiting to do the commercial side of it. There's a lot of, fre- there's a lot of fresh air involved. <laughs> it's, 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 what, what we found is what keeps us going is, like I say, we've no model for it. We, we've, we've tried to keep the project very clean. And we've had, we've had companies approach us, say they want to sponsor us or get involved. And at the moment, there's one or two we're talking about, we can't find anyone clean enough that we want to be involved with. Because we won't greenwash, we won't get involved in carbon offsetting. We think that's all all a lie, to be honest yeah. with you. It's it's it, it's a pretense. So we, we try to keep it very real, and it's the harder route, but ultimately it'll be the best route. And we find we're attracting people to the project that are good, that that know what's going on, and really want to make a difference. And that that kind of keeps you going. You get kind of going, oh, how are we going to pay the bills next month? And then someone walks in, they want to do a documentary on you, and they tell you how great you're doing, and then it kind of keeps you going from the from a from a, from a um, I suppose an emotional or a mental point of view, but from from the point of view of, of, of mm-hmm. earning, we we were we were renovating the the, the farmhouse. Um, we were trying to get it down to um, passive standard, and um, that's on hold at the moment because we're living on that. Um, and we, there there are there are we, we could turn around and we could start selling seed tomorrow, or we could start selling flowers and, and do stuff like that. One, it would take away from our time we have for advocacy, which is what we're really about. It's about the cause, and two. We, we might be seen as someone who's using the bees to sell flowers or sell seed, and that's what, not what we're about. So we don't want that confusion to come in. So we're trying to keep it as clean as possible. It's maybe naive, it's maybe foolish, but mm. there's a lot of people love it, and there's a lot of people we're, we're getting back messaging on social media yeah. that, that we're inspiring people and we're, we're inspiring change. We know we had people down when I, mean, I was involved with um, Social Entrepreneurs Ireland. They had me as one of their um, their um, projects a couple of years back, and the mentor we had there would be. He wouldn't mind me saying to be a usual city living, Range Rover driving, high living guy. And within spend, just, just spending some time with us, they'd rewilded half their garden. They, they, they were looking for electric cars. They were buying electric bikes. And it was just, he said it was right. It was just from hanging out with us a little bit. And we're not hippies and we're not, we're not like, we're not trying to, trying to make everyone go back and live in caves, but we're, 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 we're trying to be realistic. We need to adapt where we're going. We adapt, adaptation is, is, needs to be huge over the next 10 years. Our expectations, what we do, what we expect of life. And I think, it, well, I would say we're, we're kind of, we're aligning the sand here. But when, when it comes to, we just said, no, the farm's not farming anymore as regards animals. And we, 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 we still, we have a, we're, we're developing a market garden at the moment to show people how to grow, grow um, by vegan methods, methods. But it's kind of like I say, it's, it's, we're trying to say, listen, this is clean, this is pure, this is something special in the world at the moment and maybe that's what what's what the world needs a few few things they can cling to that are, that are honest and can't be second guessed what's the national meadowland project about okay basically <clears throat> sorry we came across a study a few that was done a number of years ago in the uk and what they're saying was that if two percent of farmland was given back to nature and went back to wildflower meadows or species rich meadowland that the bees would start to recover and the decline would, would slow and stop, and then they would start to recover. So Paul had heard and, and had about this study, basically, and we decided, right, it's a very simple idea. So basically what we're asking farmers and landowners is if they could give 2% back. So basically what that means is, um, one, manage the land organically, not become certified organic, but just manage it organically, which basically means no chemicals, no pesticides, herbicides, insecticides, fungicides, no inputs, which basically means no fertilizer, no slurry, and then not to graze it between the 1st of March and the 1st of September. So basically from the 1st of March to the 1st of September, just close the gate and just leave it. And we're saying to people, just stand back and watch what happens. And the, the grasses will come back, the flowers will come back, and the insects will come back. And then following on from the insects, you'll get your small mammals and your large mammals and your birds. And basically what we're asking people to do is just to, to do that simple thing. And then from the 1st of September, they can take a cut of hay, of it if that's what they, if they're able to do that basically or they can graze it on, again until the 1st of March so they can graze it from autumn and winter basically depending on what, what stock they have or what animals they and have and what's been the what's been the reaction from farmers to that it's, it's been great have you so had far. a good reaction to it yeah, I yeah. said we, we launched it less than two weeks ago. And like when I say launch it, we've got a mobile phone and a small social media account, and that's what we put it out on. And so far, I, I haven't figured, but we, we've, every day we've had two or three people getting in touch from farms saying, listen, we're interested, what can we do? Mm-hmm. And 
that it's a lot of smaller fa- That's families. fantastic. It's really it's great. And, and as I yeah. say, if, if, we, if we get people behind us, we really do. Like, what we're trying to do is keep it really simple. If you go into any of the farm schemes, you, you have to get a, an ecologist or an advisor on board. You have to start putting in stock proof proof fencing so there's all costs involved and then they're only for five years and we've talked to farmers they said what happens after five years well if there's no payments we're going to rip it all out and just go back to what we're doing because we need to earn so what we're saying to farmers is there's, there's, there's big issues with um cap and farm payments and gloss and it tends to get hidden behind as well because it, it comes down to personal responsibility too we're also listen listen there's all this kind of war going on between the environmentalists and farmers and it, that's all it is it's entertainment it's something that, that, that you hear over the over the airwaves and what we're saying if you actually talk to farmers on the ground there's a lot of there's a lot of bad guys like any industry but there's a lot of really good guys too and we're just saying to them, listen take personal responsibility run with us on this show willing show you can be the heroes and we'll we'll work away to we'll say listen we'll try and get businesses on board to start getting you payments if that's the way we have to go we'll ultimately we'd love to get EU payments but well, let's keep it really simple let's stop putting people off let's stop, let's stop making it hard to get involved and to do the right thing because people want to do the right thing um i talked to a guy last week from the west he had um, he's a small um um uh, uh, poultry house and he, he actually got in touch with through the national metal and, and he, i felt so sorry for him he he has a wild area he's left outside the shed and he's, he's going, he has his hedgehog, three hedgehogs in it, and he's got this bumblebee nest in it. And he's, he's delighted with it. He, he loves it. And he, he's an elderly guy. And he's getting hassle from the, the inspectors out from Borbia about having this wild area. He's trying to convince him he's not being lazy. He wants it there. It's there for a purpose. And he's worried that they're going to, his own words, that they want a golf course. And this guy was, Jan, I felt so sorry for him. He genuinely wants to do the right thing. He's delighted. He said he hasn't seen hedgehogs in years. He's got his three hedgehogs in there. And he's literally thrilled with himself. And, and he, he's, he's worried. And so I said, listen, I'll start on the board. Be it. But we find a lot of people just want to talk to us. They want to offload because they know what's wrong. They know what's going on is wrong. They just, they see us there and we're doing it and they go, they just want to chat. They just want to have a chat and then have some, have some, feel some sort of mm. support. And that's, that's, it's, it's a role we never, we never kind of envisaged, but it's starting to happen. And it's kind of sad that it has to be that, that they're coming to like, we're a small farm in Wicklow, 55 acres. And it's, it's, it's on one level, it's great that what, what we're able to do with this small piece of land and a bit of social media, that the, the impact we can have. On another level, it's kind of sad that people are seeking us out just to talk about their worries. If you go back 40, 50 years ago, mm. agriculture in Ireland was very different and the issues weren't there. You know, the intensification, it's, it's what's going on. It's pulling out ditches to make large fields. It's clearing every space that they possibly can to get every little inch out of it. What we're saying is, no, we have to give some of it back, you know, and if we can start small. And as Paul said, like Paul talked to, um, he was involved in Wexford about a year ago. He talked to 40 farmers, low-income farmers, and they all thought this was a brilliant idea. And they all basically said, yes, we'll do it, you know. Like, like not every farmer has huge machinery and huge tractors. Not every farmer wants to clear every ditch and take every inch of land. As Paul said, there's a lot of farmers out there who want to do it the old way, you know. And they're they're like farming. It's they're, the whole system is wrong. The the payments are coming from Europe to farm. Like you you walk into certain supermarkets, I won't name them, but you buy a bag of carrots for thirty nine cent. Like no farmers making money off that. Yeah. You no, know? and the whole the whole system is is broken and but, it's wrong. But and that's that's to do with as well the fact that the, the farm representative bodies they want beef and dairy, they want expansion. There there's a there's a there's a there's an agenda there, and the, the narrative we hear is that all farmers want this and they don't. That, that, that's what we've got to start undercutting and start questioning. Mm. It, it, it's, it's, again, we, we, we've been, we're very vocal on what's happening with our hedgerows, with our trees, and what's happening with nature. And what we see all the time is what's happening, who's doing it, how's it happening. But we're, no, no one ever gets to the why. No one ever really investigates why it's happening. It gives a stre- gets the answer of why it's happening. Why are people taking out hedgerows? Why are people taking out trees? Why, why are they spreading slurry too close, to, too close to the rivers and and and, and the water? You know, it, it's and that's the, until we get to the why and start understanding that we're we're always going to be just kind of firefighting. We we need to we need to understand the why and, and really tackle it. And that that's that's where we we, we try to uh, put the spotlight on a lot. Um, I mean, when, when getting back to yeah. Meadowland, it, it's it's a very simple concept, and the fact that like what we're trying to do with it is we're we're trying to keep it very. We, we've set targets that we think are realistic. We, what we want is one one Meadowland, or one meadow in every county by the end of April. So that that gives us like at a minimum thirty two acres. Then by the end of May, we're hoping we'll add another five in each county. So we've got six in each county, and then we're hoping maybe the kind of inter county rivalry will set in and people start being competitive. We can start putting a league up saying Cork have two hundred acres and Kerry have two hundred fifty. So let's get someone. Like we we need to make it interesting. You know, I, I find I'm, I'm at a lot of 
environmental meetings and climate meetings, and it's so goddamn boring. And I'm I'm an old guy, and if I'm bored at it, what are the young people going to be like? How? And there's very few. When it comes to the uh, nature, there's very few young people in the room at these things. Very few that aren't. There's a lot of grey hair and crusties, put it that way. And I include myself in that. And I'm looking around, going, mm. "Where are the young people? We're not. We're not." Some glitter on nature. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. We need well, to- I think what it shows is that like small. I think what it shows is like small, small gains, like uh, prototyping these small little things and showing people how they're actually quite realistic and then collectively they can make a huge difference. I mean, if if there are, you know, dozens of, of villages and towns around the country who like put blood, sweat and tears into tidy towns competition, you know, why can't there be like big best meadowland or, I mean, not that you want to be funneling people into a comp- competition or something, but um. Uh, yeah, I think it's 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 a really really positive and and helpful uh, uh, outlook and process on on a very complex kind of global issue around the survival of bees. Um, Andrea, you you had something there for for our, our, an ask for our listeners. <laughs> Let's say you don't happen to have a farm, um, and you're a city dweller, or you aren't a city dweller. You just have your own garden or your own area. What can people do themselves? Okay, again, it's really simple. It's the same principle as the Meadowland Project. Three things. One, no chemicals. So don't use any sprays to kill anything, basically. Two, provide forage, which basically means food, which are flowers. And three, leave somewhere for them to nest, which is habitat. So if you've got no garden, you're in an apartment, you have a balcony, you can put a window box in or a couple of plant pots and put some organic wildflowers or organic flowers in that. What you say is organic or non-treated seed is really important. If the tr- seed has been treated with chemicals, then those chemicals will actually affect the bees in a negative way. So non-organic or non-treated seed, basically. Put in some flowers. And then, as I said, if, that's, if you've got a balcony or just a pot outside your door, that's brilliant. If you have a garden or an area, leave part of it wild. Leave a little bit that you don't cut the grass. Leave some nettles in the corner. Leave a few logs somewhere that will start rotting and then things can nest in that, basically. So a little bit of untidiness is really good. We, we've kind of been brought down this this route of everything's got to be neat and tidy. We've to cut the grass short, pull all the weeds out, spray everything and, and make everything tidy. We don't. It's actually the opposite for nature. Nature doesn't want things neat and tidy. So if you leave a little area or as much as you can, basically, untidy, that's brilliant. You'll have the insects will come in and then things will follow from the insects. Like we're here, we're saying about, um, we've, okay, we've 55 acres. We've roughly a 12-acre wetland. Now, we haven't touched that or done anything with that in nearly 10 years. And every year, there's new flowers coming back. We had cow slips there about three years ago came back. And the cow slips, they're not protected in the Republic, but they are protected species in the north of Ireland. And they're really important. And people are going to go, oh, wow, cow slips. You haven't seen them for years. They're coming back by themselves naturally, you know, because we're just leaving it be. We're not doing anything. There's other flowers with betony, which is a protected maybe, species. Maybe we, that to, uh, maybe we need to rebrand the word untidy gardens into something a bit more nature centric. Online, where where can they find you? What's your social media handle to find you on? Um, it, it's where we're www.thebeesanctuaryofireland.com on social media where um, it's hashtag beesanctuaryofireland on Instagram I think and Facebook and then I'm at the bee guy it's T-H-E underscore bee guy on Twitter um, if you want if you want the kind of more edgy stuff I'm on Twitter the, the lovely stuff is on Facebook and Instagram just do the pictures but the, the truth is on Twitter such is <laughs> life <laughs> um, thanks so much for, for sorry I sorry say, I, I there I discovered Twitter two weeks ago. It's very exciting. So it's the underscore B girl. And that's just, I just put up pictures from around the sanctuary just to show people what we're doing and what people can do simply. And if anybody wants to email, I have a list that's to give people ideas of what flowers they can use and what flowers they can get and where they can get seed and stuff. So if anyone wants to follow up and, and contact us, I can send that out. I'm happy to send that out to anybody who wants uh, more information. And really quickly, don't just leave a strip for nature. Just take the strip that you need for yourself and leave the rest for nature. Just flip it on its head. The more, the more you leave, the, the more, the more will happen and the more you'll get into it. It's as simple as that. You stand back and yeah. look at it. That's brilliant. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, look forward to the L 5K lif- lifting so we can go out and uh, hang with the bees um, in Wicklow. Paul and Claire Louise, thank you so much. Uh, keep up the great work and we'll check back in with you soon. Thanks a million Thanks for having us. Thanks a million, guys. 
We are now joined by friend of the pod, Adam Sherry. Adam has his own beehive um, that he set up himself um, on his own, in his own world, on his own time. Uh, and we just wanted to figure out how easy it is to do it, why he did it, and what, what the buzz is. What the buzz is. Hello, <laughs> oh, very good. Zing. Adam, thanks for joining us. Tell us, why bees? Hi, Andrea. Why bees? Um, why bees? So I, I suppose there had been a there there has been a lot of talk about bees. Um, more recently, uh, certainly over the last ten years or so, they've kind of come into our consciousness as as being in decline. Um, and you know they're very important to to um, how we live and consume food. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I just kind of started paying attention to, to, to all that a few years ago. Um, I was living in town at the time and I saw uh, an advertisement for a beekeeping course, which was being run from the Robert Emmett Community Development Project down just off the Keys. So, I yeah, I, I signed up for that a few years ago and it was a course I think it was maybe eight weeks um once a week in the evenings uh classroom based um and they they had access to a to a hive as well so there was a couple of hive visits towards the end of that course um so yeah it was an urban beekeeping course and how far after, how far along after that till you got the big white suit and a hive <laughs> um probably about six months yeah, I uh, yeah I got my hands on a hive and all the gear and unboxed it all and said, right, let's do it. Um, and yeah, kind of shot my pants for the first while. And uh, what, what does what does having a hive entail? So it's it's basically about um, you're, you're trying to maintain the colony. Um, and make sure that they're staying healthy first and foremost, um, and being and being as productive as possible, um, so that you can you can harvest as much honey as as you can. Um, but I suppose you know they don't take any any huge amount of looking after. Um, you kind of you, you you need to inspect the hive. Depending on the time of year, you need to expect inspect the hive every every couple of weeks, um, maybe once a week, depending on, on what's going on. Do you need a lot of space for a hive? And does it need to be like, can, can you have them in the city or does it have to be in the countryside or how does it work? You can keep them anywhere. No. So, th- 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 you know, the, the course I did was specifically urban beekeeping, okay. which, uh, which as it suggests, um, you know, you, you, you can keep hives, hives in city centers, um, anywhere. Yeah. Uh, so like could i put one like on my balcony in an apartment block i'm sorry you need to be it obviously matters you don't want to put it right beside your back door and you need you need to kind of be conscious of who else is around the place you know if you've neighbors that are allergic to uh to bee stings that could all go horribly wrong so yeah i would depending on who you are where you are and who's around you uh you just need to think about about where it's going and 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 you know they need they need a bit of space they they need they, they, you're not going to put it on your apartment balcony but you might, might put it on the roof you might put it on the roof exactly okay so yeah. it is like the people are important who's around you and then but you do need a bit of space I suppose for them to come in and out yeah totally they and need you they feed bees say that again you feed bees you can feed yes you 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 sometimes need to feed bees depending on on the state of the colony you know um and what time of year it is uh coming into winter you can give them a hand um there's there is uh, you know bee feeders that uh that you would uh kind of give them coming into winter so that they they have enough food to survive it's an expensive hobby not at all. No, getting set up. Uh, I think you would get set up with the hive and you know the suit and all that gear. Um, there are a lot of uh, places that sell packages, which which would have everything you need um, for uh, three hundred quid, maybe all in. Okay, well. So then you need to get your, you actually need to get the bees themselves. 
So I, they just appear, like you just lay out your wares and then they just come in. Uh, not not quite. They, they they can just appear though. Actually, they be the um, how they kind of reproduce is they swarm, um, and and yeah. So you can you can actually catch a swarm of bees uh, and do it that way, um, but most. Mm, most people would would be uh, would be acquiring a nucleus hive, um, which is uh, basically like a starter hive, and that that probably costs between one hundred and two hundred euro. And where the party is, the other bees want to go. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. uh, and have you noticed uh, like a change in the bees, how they've acted in the pandemic at all? <laughs> um, personally, no. Mine might be a little. I just, I just, it's it's April now. Um, I've just gone down to have a look at mine for the first time in a while. They were they were um overwintering, so they they generally don't need much looking after. Um, over winter you kind of leave them alone. But I went for a look, and maybe yeah, they they were perhaps a little crankier than usual. Um, last week. Like but, yeah. Uh, okay. Well, I think maybe I'm going to start a beehive. Have sure, it's we'll have a what do you recommend us? Do you think we should all we should all be kind? Yeah, no, I'm very much a, a hobbyist, and I absolutely love it. I have to say, it's uh, it's extremely relaxing, and all the little bits that go with it are very enjoyable and good for kind of a bit of headspace. And yeah, I I think it's fantastic. Also, they're they're just such a uh, a great. They're great little role, role models. So being around them and working with them is inspiring. And they're saving us and our futures. Exactly. <laughs> Always yeah. a winner. Uh, Adam, thanks a million for joining us. You're uh, very welcome. Have a, have a bee-friendly summer. <laughs> yeah, have a beautiful afternoon. Oh, gosh. Bye. Thanks, Andrea. Bye. Well, I'm very invigorated uh, by all the bee chats, um, I have to say. And we have made a donation to the Bee Sanctuary of Ireland. Uh, the donation that we made, which is 100 euro, makes us queen bee, according to the website, which I'm delighted with. You can do the same as well. Um, and also don't forget to help us out. Three euro a month, patreon.com forward slash United Ireland. Uh, but now we've got into the bees. But what's getting in the sea? <laughs> this week, uh, okay, it kind of sounds like I'm giving out about something that's like futile and silly, but because it's a good thing. But so the state have announced that they're making a 17 million investment to create European, European style outdoor dining. That's great news, right? But the thing that pissed me off when I saw it, I was like, are you actually joking? Why are we only starting this conversation in April, a year and a month after this whole shit show has began. And um, why is the infrastructure only being put in place when we're literally on our way out, hopefully, uh, in the next couple of months? It should be all ready to rock and roll. So I feel like the lack, the wasting time, the time that we've wasted, and I know this is going to feel like a conversation that we're going to have a lot after COVID. It's like, I wasted time not learning uh, Korean or whatever, but it's like the wasting time of putting facilities in place for us to live is kind of a bigger deal. Mm, I mean, <clears throat> I've, I'm in, a, uh, it must be going on for about two months and it was definitely a good few weeks now of trying to put a piece together on the outdoor plans for Dublin City Centre for this summer. Um, and it's been very difficult actually to get clear information from the council. Um, something about this initiative, which is giving grants for outdoor dining, is that according, I've been asking the council, like, why aren't they going ahead with pedestrianising some of the streets? And they're basically saying, well, we want to, but under current government regulations, work to pedestrianise streets or um, make public space uh, pedestrian friendly or to facilitate social distancing, they can't do the work under the current government restrictions. So the only way they'll able be able to do that work is when the restrictions are eased, by which time more people will actually be on the streets because more stuff will be open and the stuff won't be ready. So and then it'll be winter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just look, 
I know we've spoken about it a lot. Hopefully I'll get this piece over the line. Um, I know you have another item that falls under it in its bananas. Uh, but, you know, it's, 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 it's extraordinarily difficult to, like bizarrely difficult to get a comprehensive picture of, of what's actually being prepared for the city. And, you know, what I've seen so far uh, is, is not really a comprehensive plan at all. So I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes you just get a little bit disheartened with things. Sometimes. Um, sometimes. <laughs> what else is getting in the sea? You have a little bonus I have a little seafaring bonus item. Getting in the sea. So I was watching Tommy Tiernan on Saturday and Andoyle was on. The queen of, of legends, the, the icon that is Andoyle. And I was very interested in her conversation and I, I, it didn't go where I thought it could have went. That's fine. I like, look that's life but I was just struck when she was taught when Tommy was inter- interrogating asking her why she never got married and why she didn't have kids and she was explaining how having kids wasn't for her it was a choice she'd made and then she kind of had to like justify that decision by saying just to let you know I am still a full-blooded woman and he's like what do you mean by that and she's like well sometimes like it can feel like by making the choice not to have children that you're cold and clinical it's like it just really obviously I don't want to have children so it struck me very definitely but it was just I kind of felt an emotion to that that we are still in a situation where some a woman choosing not to have children was considered a cold move Mm. so yeah I think because every single parent in the world is notoriously warm and automatically uh more human and generous and empathic. Yeah. So that's why there's no um, harm done to children in the world. So, yeah, I thought that's how the situation could get in the sea. And now it's bananas. This is like, this is the most bananas thing that maybe we've had in a while. So, obviously, I've been strolling around the city. Not obviously, I have been. And I was in town the other day and the queues for the public toilets at Stevens Green were so long. It was like it was a festival um, to try and get into the toilets. So obviously there's a big need for toilets in the city. Um, and then I was wandering through my Twitter sphere and I saw one of our councillors sharing a petition to for Dublin City Council to install more toilets. I was like... So hang on, you're a councillor and I'm not blaming that person and you're sharing a petition to try and get the job that needs to be done done. Like, why do we need a petition for this? Like, this is so ridiculous. It's like, I mean, it's so ridiculous. I mean, like the fact that like people have to basically start a campaign so that they're not pissing on the street or in bushes is crazy. Um. I have been on to Dublin City Council about this. Are you, are you their favourite person right now? I'm, and here she goes I'm again. <laughs> absolute fave. Um, and they, so yeah, you're right. The Stephen Screen one and the Wolftown Square ones in Dublin City have been used. Uh, they've been very successful. Uh, there's about 1,500 people using them a day. Um, and the council is currently investigating uh, the concept of um, <laughs> how public toilets may exist in other places. Uh, I have asked them a couple of times what that actually means and where they're going to put them and they're investigating it. And also Gary uh, Gannon was was calling for more in, in the Phoenix Park when the 5K... So basic. The 5K rule is going to be changed so more people are going to be going to the park and it's like we still only have like one toilet or something in the Phoenix Park. Yeah, all you have to do is close a lane on Chesterfield Avenue and put 100 port two metres apart up the fucking streets. So you're not, you just do that. In in Dunleary, somebody was saying to me that they were out in Dunleary the other day to pick up an item for work and down uh, near the pier there, they have these kind of old uh, horse boxes or or something like that. And, and so that they're open, they're completely ventilated and, and the toilets are really clean and they're really well maintained. Um, I just think it's absolutely insane that in a city of over a million people, the only addition of, of there's been two sites of public toilets put in the, in the whole city. And this is, I don't just, just do it. And like also, what I think is the fact that we have a full industry in crisis, calling out for work, just wanting to be allowed work, the events industry, 
their whole job, 90% from what I can gather of festivals is implementation of toilets on site. They, they literally can do it in their sleep. Get people on board who know what they're doing. Whack the toilets all over the place. Yeah. Oh, well, suffice to say we're a year, over a year into the pandemic and the city council is still investigating where to put toilets in the city. That's bananas. Uh, that is, that's bananas. Now it's time for our fave bits. Give me some great things. I am excited to hear your fave bits. Oh, yay. My fave bits. Now, first on my list, it may come as a surprise that I'm not, I'm not terribly into sports. Uh, however, I watched the Jack Charlton documentary at the weekend. It's so good. It's absolutely brilliant. It's uh, not just a doc. It's not like, obviously, it's about football management but it's so much more kind of examines our journey as a country um accepting um an englishman as our uh, and and the pathway that it, it came about and how we dealt with that as a country and the what was going on in the background then there was his uh alzheimer's journey um and his relationships with uh the other players like paul McGrath and his battle with alcohol it was so all-encompassing but very focused it was just a really well put together documentary that touched on so many things in a very wide fashion but was still quite focused and uh, and uh, really worth watching i would highly recommend that documentary to everyone where can i watch it um i watched it it was on bbc and it was also on virgin so it was a virgin production so i'd say if you, oh, you can watch it on the player yeah, there yeah. yeah yeah it's uh definitely worth a watch um another fave bit is there's currently a petition to make bridget's day a national holiday Selling, celebrating Bridget, Ireland's matron saint, and I think we did this before, and triple goddess. Um, but uh, to have her equally um, as relevant as our world-famous St. Patrick, um, I'm more interested, obviously, in the inbox side of things, but there is a, a petition, and they're calling uh, her story, are calling on people to mail Leo Varadkar, the Thánaiste, to bring that over the line. So if you do have a minute, pop them a little, pop them a little postcard or an email, um, Little Bridget's cross, and let's let's go for gold with Bridget. Um, my re just like I, Lancome is not a new thing, but I was thinking about the gigs I'd like to go to, um, and I'm putting myself in a positive headspace. Of I know we're not meant to think of what we could be going to, but more fantasy land. It's like, what would I love to be doing? And I would love my first gig back to be Lancome. I've been listening to them on repeat, and it's very pagan and very like hopeful and very uh, grounding um so i am very much recommending lancome this week uh, there's something in their music that physiologically helps me i like it's so rooted and grounded in the earth and in the body um when anytime i have like particularly bad like anxiety or if I feel like I'm on the verge of a panic attack I go out and I walk around and I listen to their version of Wild Rover really loud in my headphones and it's interesting because the pipes and how the music kind of comes up to this kind of guttural crescendo when you listen to it out of an anxious space it feels quite like well full on but when you are in an anxious space it it'll the way it kind of forms and what it does to me allows me to escape that space. It's so, yeah, they're just fucking magic, aren't they? They're absolutely outrageous. And I was trying to find the the instrument that makes the real haunting noise, like the, and it's like a push organ. It's mm. uh, It's been a journey I've been on for Lancome. Very, um, it's not a harmonium, is it? It's the one that Rady plays. Yeah. Harmonium, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's magic. Yeah. Um, and then also, late to the, all of these are like old things, but like there's kind of new is um, Shits Creek. I finished it and I was just, oh my God, it's just such a joy. And I watched then the Shits Creek doc, Best Wishes, Warmest Regards. And I would highly recommend watching that because there was so many things that you don't really notice happening in the show that they put words on in terms of like uh, Dan Levy was talking about, I wanted to make a show um, 
about with a gay character and all that kind of jazz. And he's like, and I realized that I didn't want a, a, a show that tackles homophobia. I just wanted a show free from homophobia and love stories that were just simply love stories. And they weren't like, Oh, this is the big gay love story. And it just was about the normalization of all of that. And the joy and the story behind Maura Rose and her characterization. And it's just a, like my heart was overflowing by the end of it. So I had Jack Charlton, Schitt's Creek Doc and Lancome. Like by the end of the weekend, my heart was bursting. Um, Winner. Yeah. And also as a side note, Glitterbox did a documentary called Where Love Lies. And again, it's tackling, it's, it's honing into the clubbing is culture um, and life saving and clubbing is, is a community and all those kind of messages that I go on about all the time. So it's really good to see all these things coming to fruition and the conversation really heating up of um, how important clubs are for, for our survival. Where can I watch that glitter box doc? I'd like to watch it. That is on YouTube. Um, Fab. It's definitely worth a watch. Cool. So my fave bits are, um, I have started rewatching The Sopranos, which is just like, I feel like saying that in lockdown. It's like, has anybody heard of banana bread? <laughs> um, but I, this is maybe my third or fourth rewatch of The Sopranos, but I don't think I've watched it in about 10 years. Um, uh, my girlfriend has never watched the series. I've which never is, watched it either. Well, you would love it. Would I? Yeah. And it actually is better than I remembered, even from originally watching it when it was on TV and also after that on my rewatches. It truly is something that gets better with time, I think. Um, and yeah, just really, really enjoying it. And uh, yeah, just rediscovering how fantastic television can be um, and how avant-garde in a way it was and and uh yeah i feel just... exactly the same way about sex and the city <laughs> oh yeah actually made of mine was talking about rewatching sex and city recently and just uh how much she's absolutely flying through it and really loving it and how it like lands differently as you get older and Brilliant. yeah it's so good and it's so escapism and it's so like obviously blah 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 problematic yada 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 but uh it's a really bright spark and it's on every day. There's two episodes on every day on Sky Comedy or something. So I have two episodes to watch every day. It's like a new show. Mm. My other fave bit is my uh, vinyl of copy of CMAT's Diet Baby EP arrived in my door today so via The Postman. And Gorge, love CMAT by Irish Independent Artists Records full stop speaking of Irish artists for those I love uh, obviously put his album out last Friday if you go and buy it on iTunes now I think it's $6.99 on iTunes it is on potentially on track to be the number one Irish album this week which would be phenomenal so go and do that if you can um, but my for those I love fave bit this week is the concrete billboard for the album in London. I just think it's stunning. I love all of the visual language um, around this record, apart from the music itself. Um, obviously, Dave is an extraordinarily talented uh, director and maker himself, but I just think it's, it's really stunning. And I, I've never seen somebody really follow through the sentiments um of an album aesthetically in the way that he has with this outdoor piece as well, uh, which is essentially a, a piece of sculpture, really. Um, so that's gorgeous. Uh, I just tweeted it there uh, earlier. So if you haven't seen it, you can go to my Twitter and check it out. My book of the week. Bit of a throwback, bit of a random one. Um, it's Screwjack by Hunter S. Thompson, which is a collection of three short stories. Um one of which, Mascalito, is if you miss having the fear, <laughs> I would recommend. No. <laughs> Nobody does. But I would recommend reading this because it's um, it's a very old story-ish, like pre-Fear and Loathing, I guess, that he wrote about the first time he took Masculine. And he happens to be in a hotel room and he's waiting for somebody to collect him to take a flight. Now, if there was ever a time not to take really high-powered uh, narcotics, 
that would be it. Um, it's very stressful, but it is um, very funny. And, you know, if you like Hunter Thompson, you'll you'll dig this. Um, and it just kind of threw, threw me back a little bit because uh, I just loved Hunter S. Thompson so much when I was a teenager and through college. I remember like crying and crying and crying the day that he died. Um, always a very inspiring force for me. And it, it brought me back to, I don't know, um, Andre, if you've ever seen his his writing ritual? No. Uh, his daily writing ritual? Will I read it to you quickly? I, yes, please. I could do it once. So you know all these things about like, I get up at 6am and I write for the... No. No. Oh, perfect. <laughs> I'm in already. 3pm, rise. Perfect. 3.05, Shivas Regal with the morning papers. Dunhills. Cigarettes. Shivas Regal is a scotch. 3.45pm, cocaine. 3.50 p.m., another glass of Shivas, Dunhill. 4.05 p.m., first cup of coffee, Dunhill. 4.15 p.m., cocaine. 4.16 p.m., orange juice, Dunhill. 4.30 p.m., cocaine. 4.54 p.m., cocaine. 5.05 p.m., cocaine. 5.11 p.m., coffee, Dunhills. 5.30 p.m., more ice in the Shivas. 5.45 p.m., cocaine, etc., etc. 6 p.m., grass to take the edge off the day. 7.05 p.m. Woody Creek Tavern for lunch, Heineken, two margaritas, coleslaw, a taco salad, double order fried onion rings, carrot cake, ice cream, bean fritter, Dunhills, another Heineken, cocaine, and for the ride home, a snow cone, a glass of shredded ice over which is poured three or four jiggers of Shivas. 9 p.m. Start snorting cocaine seriously. 10 p.m. Drop acid. (laughs) 11 p.m. Chartreuse of all the fucking things to put in the mix. Cocaine, grass. 11.30 p.m. Cocaine, etc. 12 midnight. Start to write. (laughs) 12.05 to 6 a.m. Chartreuse, cocaine, grass, shivas, coffee, Heineken, clove cigarettes, grapefruit, Dunhills, orange juice, gin, continuous pornographic movies. 6 a.m. Hot tub champagne, Dove bars, now Dove bars in America would be galaxy bars, not bars of soap. Fettuccine Alfredo. 8 a.m. Halcyon. Do you know what Halcyon is? Halcyon is a cocktail or like a mixed drink. You serve it in like a a warm glass and it's got um, Fernet Branca and molasses or treacle and bourbon. And uh, tea, chamomile tea. Um. And then finally, what's the last part? So that uh, 8.20 a.m. sleep. I feel like maybe Hunter F. Thompson might have had a cocaine problem. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to throw it We do not endorse such drug taking. Not one mention of a nasal rinse. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, that's what I'm reading this week. Uh, Screw Jack, Hunter S. Thompson. Uh, three short stories. This podcast is produced by Andrew Mangan of Castaway Media. Crystal Clear gave us his tuna chicken roll for our soundtrack. Sarah Fox did all our design. Tuna chicken roll this week. How could it not be? It's the talk of the town. It's the the journey from heaven to hell. He's riding Satan. It's little Nas X Montero. I've been Una Malali. I've been Andrew Horan. This has been United Ireland. And that was Be Kind. I caught it bad just today You hit me with a call to your place Ain't been out in a while anyway Was hoping I could catch you throwing smiles in my face Romantic talking, you don't even have to try You're cute enough to fuck with me tonight Looking at the table, all I see is bleeding white Baby, you living the life, but nigga, you ain't living right Cocaine and drinking with your friends You live in the dark, boy, I cannot pretend I'm not faced, only you to sin If you've been in your garden, you know that you can Call me when you want, call me when you need Call me in the morning, I'll be on the way Call me when you want, call me when you need Call me out by your name, I'll be on the way Like, mm, 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 I wanna sell what you're buying Times every-
every time that I speak A diamond and a nine, it was mine every week What a time and incline, God was shining on me Now I can't leave And now I'm making hella illy Never want the niggas that's in my league I wanna fuck the ones I envy, I envy Cocaine and drinking you with your friends You live in the dark, boy, I cannot pretend I'm not faced, only you're the sin If you've been in your garden, you know that you can